Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Irish Times Inside Business Podcast in association with your next Dublin, the new home of the Irish Stock Exchange. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. This week we're reflecting on a seismic election result that has put Sinn Féin within touching distance of being in government. In its manifesto, Sinn Féin promised €21 billion Euro of additional spending, as well as rent freezes and extra levies and taxes on banks and wealthy people. Investors were sufficiently spooked to dump stock in our listed banks and property companies, which saw more than a billion euro wiped off their valuations. And we're still not clear who will form the next government. Will Sinn Féin be in power and what impact would that have on our economy and on investor sentiment? Joining me in studio to help figure all of this out is Brian Hayes, a former Fine Gael TD and a Minister of State at the Department of Finance, who's now Chief Executive of the Banking and Payments Federation Ireland, and by Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times. Cliff, we might start with you. Maybe you can just give us the backdrop to what's been going on in markets this week and just a flavour for investor sentiment, if you like. Yeah, sure. I, I suppose the, the obvious point is that the, uh, for investors as well as for the rest of us, the outcome of the election came as a, came as a big surprise. Um, the huge rise of Sinn Féin. Everyone saw from the opinion polls that Sinn Féin was doing well, but I don't think anybody foresaw until very late in the day that they might get mm. the biggest share of the popular vote and be very close to uh, the biggest share of seats as well, just behind, uh, just behind Fianna Fáil as, as it turned out. So I think come Monday morning and maybe even on Sunday over the weekend, uh, the phones were hopping in Ireland, stockbrokers, the phones were hopping in Ireland's big accountancy Wealth firms. managers and so forth. Wealth yeah. managers, they'd be saying, what does this mean? You never warned us about this. You know, what is this? what's going to happen now? Uh, so as as often happens in these situations, I suppose there was a big set off as people, you know, immediately said, what's the worst case mm. scenario here? So the banks were sold off. Because as we know, Sinn Féin's policy is to increase taxes on the banks, to give the central bank powers to hold down mortgage rates, and and is generally you know bank unfriendly. There was a lot of uh, there was a lot of uh, rhetoric thrown at the banks during the election campaign. Banks were sold off, big property companies, and the and the REITs were sold off as well. Because also part of Sinn Féin's uh, agenda is uh, a rent freeze, which obviously affects these companies. It changes in commercial stamp duty, uh, and, and a look at the tax regime as it applies to the REITs that are investing here and the, the so-called vulture funds and cuckoo funds, as they have become known. Um, so all this, I think, freaked people uh, to some extent early on. There was a bit of a sell-off in the banks, sell-off in those funds. Settled a bit now. I think people are waiting to see what hap- what will happen. Interestingly, there wasn't much of a reaction in the government bond market. Uh, government bonds are, are are more tightly held by kind of a smaller group of big longer term investors. I guess they've seen political upheavals in Italy and, and France and a lot of other markets they invest in, even Germany. So 
they're kind of sitting back and waiting. Uh, there hasn't been much, uh, much, much reaction there, despite the plans by Sinn Féin to, 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 to spend a bit more money and, and, and tax a bit more. So a lot still to play out, I think. Yeah. Brian, I mentioned you're Chief Executive of the Banking and, and Payments Federation. Obviously, the likes of AAB, Bank of Ireland, members of yours. How are they feeling about this? Well, I mean, most people are quite calm. I mean, it's, it's not the job of business to tell politics and politicians what to do. We've just come through a general election. As Cliff said, there was significant change in that election. Uh, as a former politician, I think the, the number one thing that business, uh, media, I dare say, and everyone else needs to do is to give the politicians of all parties time to, to work through this and to, to produce a government. It's going to take some time. It took 70 days plus the last time. So I think it's going to take something like that this time. So, um, you know, the banks, you listen, political parties have to say one thing in an election campaign. Uh, manifestos say lots of things. Uh, my experience of putting a programme for government together is that it's it's a bit more exacting. Uh, so you did that uh, on behalf of Fine Gael with Labour in 2011? Yeah, and, you know, when you do a programme for government, the Department of Finance is in the other room and they stress test ideas and proposals because, uh, you know, whatever people's intention in manifestos, uh, which they believe in, I've no doubt, uh, putting a government together is a different scenario. Um, I was listening to uh, the governor of the central bank this morning uh, in Dublin Castle. Whichever government comes in, the, you know, it's a very good fiscal position. We're in surplus. Um, our debts are coming down. Very strong uh, growth numbers uh, last year in the outturn and for the next two years. So whichever is in government, is a, you know, the, the actual fiscal position is quite good for any new government. Sure, but the central bank also put out a quarterly bulletin this week reminding everybody that there's something called Brexit on yeah. the horizon and that even if there's a free trade agreement between the EU and the UK, there's a likelihood that unemployment levels will rise in this country and output uh, will de- decrease, fall by more than 3%. Yeah, and I think we have to be aware of that. I mean, Ireland's economy is very global. Uh, it's very internationalised. We go up and down based on where the world economy is. Things like trade wars, coronaviruses and the like affect us because we are so global. So I've no doubt when whichever parties come to form a government, they'll be aware of this. Um, just take my own sector in, in banking. You know, on, on in banking international and retail, about 28,000 people work in it. They're real Irish people. They work all over the country, in Dublin and elsewhere, in, in banks, in payment service companies, inter, international banks. Um, you know, we're very proud of the fact that in Ireland uh, we've built up a very successful financial services model um, which is very well regulated to the Central Bank of Ireland now. Many of those banks uh, operate to the SSM system, which is Frankfurt-based in terms of the supervisory powers. So this idea that sort of some radical change is going to occur outside of the Eurozone, outside of EU standards, outside of what's expected in EU competition law, will probably all have to be assessed in due course. I'm sure it will, but I mean, there's nothing to stop. Uh, Sinn Féin has talked about uh, an extra um, uh, extra taxes on, on the banks, stopping them basically from offsetting the losses, the historical losses that were racked up during the crash against future profits, which they're able to do now. I mean, that's not something that really involves European rules, is it? Well, I, my, only, issue, my, right? my only concern, my only concern, uh, if you're fundamentally going to change the rules on DTAs, uh, if you uh, carve out one industry from other industries, uh, I would imagine that the EU would have a view on that in terms of state aid oh, rules. Oh, sure. But and, I w- and I would also say, uh, and this is by no means to be argumentative to the people who are proposing it, you know, what's the objective of the exercise? 
we put as a country... Shake down the banks for more money. Well, yeah, but we put... Well, the problem is the banks are us, actually, because we put a total of what into the three pillar banks just just south of 30 billion in. We've got about 20 billion of that back between the sale of the shares, the cocos, the cost of the guarantee and the dividends we got. About 20 billion. It's about 10 billion. That, that's our money as Irish, Irish taxpayers. The sole objective of government policy over the past 10 years, rightly or wrongly, is to try to get back all those banks fully back to the markets for market capital purposes and thereby getting the taxpayers' money back in the amounts that were put into the pillar okay, banks. Okay, now, so, of course, we should also say that in Sinn Féin's manifesto, they're talking about retaining AIB in majority state ownership. They don't want to, to give it back to the markets. They want AIB to be a force of good on behalf of the state in terms of lending to the yeah, community. and I think, like, in all these ideas, we need to stress test them and see exactly what impact will that make. So, so if the objective of the exercise, which I would suggest it is, is to get Irish interest rates down to more normal rates that apply in continental Europe, we've got to have privatised banks because the cost of capital going into those fully privatised banks, as against public banks, is, is considerably less in, in market terms. And the reason why, of course, our interest rates are higher than what applies in continental Europe is the amount of capital, trapped capital, that's in the, in the Irish banks. So in other words, as I think I said to you before, Kieran, in an interview we gave, I'm an Irish bank, I give you a thousand quid, I've got to keep 50 quid in reserve on capital. I'm a German bank. In Germany, I give you a thousand quid, I've got to keep 15 euro. The reason why our rates are out of kilter with the European example is because the amount of trapped capital that exists in the system. And the, and the way in which a balance sheet is constructed for an Irish balance sheet is not just the amount of capital, it's also the way in which our risk-weighted assets, our RWAs, are established, which, which actually is a real problem for the Irish banks. So anyone who's proposing to keep state banks in play needs to be aware that there are fundamental cost implications for that public bank, which ultimately will be paid for by higher rates. Now, in terms of interest rates, Sinn Féin seemed to believe that the key to getting lower rates is to actually give the power for setting rates to the central bank. Now, I know it's not a power that the central bank is, is clambering for and they don't particularly want it, but that's Sinn Féin's plan. Yeah, I, I know that. Uh, I'd like to know where else it occurs, though, in the Eurozone system. I'd like to know how many of the 19 member states of the Eurozone apply this principle. I'm not aware that we have, in any Eurozone system country, uh, the principle of capping when it comes uh, to domestic rates. There are some examples in countries where you can go over a certain level, but no more than that. Uh, so so we just need to work out these things step by step. If they're proposing that, uh, sorry, they are proposing that, I'd love to know the view of the ECB on that. I'd love to know the view of the SSM on that. Now, we need to understand that since the crash, there's been fundamental changes in the way in which we regulate our banking system. We're moving towards banking union. The two arms of that already in place on resolution and supervision are in place. The third arm of it on the EDIS proposal is yet to come about. So, so our banks are regulated and supervised in a way that is fundamentally different to what occurred 10 years ago. And we have a, a common market in terms of the banking system across the European Union. If you apply arbitrary caps in terms of competition policy from the European Commission, I suspect, I might be wrong about this, I suspect the EU Commission might have a view on that in terms of competition policy. So all of these things need to be worked through step by step. And, you know, we're not some kind of island here which you hit a button and suddenly, hey presto, a new policy emerges. We're a very complicated economy that's 
governed by a whole pile of EU rules that we have decided to put in place. Same applies on fiscal rules. So on fiscal rules, I think the European Commission would have a view if if we started to start spending money that we don't have in terms of the the debt rules and the deficit rules, the six-pack, the two-pack, the, the fiscal rules that actually we've put into our law, actually, if they're proposing to change that, I think we should have a bit of a debate about that. So campaigning is one thing. Putting things into a manifesto where you don't expect to be in government is, is another thing entirely. Putting a programme for government together is a serious job. And uh, we're prepared to give advice to Sinn Féin, to Fine Gael, to Fianna Fáil, to the People for Profit outfit and everyone else who wants to listen about our views Just on the matter. pick up the phone to Brian Hayes and you'll... Happy to take any calls from them because we have a view on this as, as an industry and we, we, we've no, you know, we'll, we'll make our views known. But ultimately, it's a matter for politicians what they want to do. Yeah. But in terms of AIB and Bank of Ireland in particular, because they're the two that, um, the two big big beasts in the jungle here, uh, if you like, what have, been, what have they been saying to you since Sinn Féin came to power, given what's, what's in the manifesto and what we know in terms of their policy platform? Well, I mean, there's, there's nothing new in, in the manifesto because I mean, some of these issues have already been, been tested so far in Dáil Air and the, the no consent, no sale bill was one. Uh, the change of DTAs has been a part of their pre-budget submission for quite some years, as indeed has their proposal to cap rates or give that power to the Central Bank, which, as you rightly say, the Central Bank of Ireland don't want to invoke. So, I mean, there's nothing particularly new, but, I mean, it's not our job really um, we're not power brokers in this. We, we are simply an industry that represents, you know, 26, 27,000 people. A pretty important industry in terms of the future investment of this country. I keep making the point all over the country. We are the capital investors, the capital and uh, intermediaries, the capital lenders for Ireland's future. And the whole objective of government policy over the past decade has been to get the money back from the banks that the Irish people bail them out to. That's that when I speak to AIB, Bank of Ireland, Permanent TSB, KBC, Ulster Bank, or especially the three pillar banks, that's their objective. Simply and purely to give the money back that the Irish people invested in them for the purposes of uh, you know, getting the Irish economy to a better place. We need the banks uh, to be the lenders of the future. Uh, it's crucially important that capital formation, credit formation improves in this country because uh, you know many businesses are simply using their own working capital right now rather than taking out new lending because they're they're caught by the uncertainty, as Cliff mentioned, on Brexit and, and elsewhere. So, I mean, what business wants to see is some certainty from government uh, that we know the course of action and there's no great shocks in the system because that has an impact on the cost of capital coming into our banks. Yeah, let's talk about Brexit, Cliff, actually, because there's some serious negotiations coming down the track and I know they're directly between the, the UK and the EU, but Ireland has used its influence to pretty good effect uh, in over the past couple of years, uh, if you like, we managed to, to get it as one of the three main items on the agenda between the EU and the UK in the, in the very uh, initial talks, which was which was kind of crucial. So, if we're going to have seventy or eighty or ninety days of negotiations around uh, forming a new government, how is that going to impact our influence in those Brexit negotiations? And what might come out of those talks? And and how might uh, a new government take shape? and influence those Brexit negotiations? Yeah, I mean, summary, I think you really want to see a government in place before Easter here, given the timetable of the Brexit talks. And the reason I say that is the following. Uh, There's an EU summit uh, coming up next week on on the EU budget. Uh, The outgoing government can presumably handle that. We have an agreed position. Equally, I I think the outgoing government can handle the input into 
the EU's uh, stance on the next round of the Brexit talks, it's, it's pretty clear. We want the freest possible trade between the EU and the UK. So there's going to be a summit at the end of March. Uh, by then, negotiations will be underway. Uh, and you could speculate that those negotiations will start to get on some, you know, we'll get some uh, momentum coming into April and May. And you really would want to see an Irish government in place then to, to, to feed into that and to deal with whatever issues emerge because there are going to be big issues for Ireland I mean fishing being the most obvious one that's going to come up early mm. in the agenda and the access of our boats to UK waters that is one of the issues which is slated if you like for, for, for April, May and June in, in the talks and one of the first things that's meant to be signed off the other key reason I think why we need we will need an Irish government in place sooner rather than later is to try and bottom out and organise the new trade arrangements for Northern Ireland and, and to have an input into that uh, because that's going to be a separate strand of negotiation. So in the withdrawal agreement, there was this deal uh, that there would be new checks and, and a new trading regime for the north of Ireland, uh, for Northern Ireland, um, so that the Irish border could could remain free and, and there'd be no checks needed on the Irish border. So a very complicated... But there will be checks between Northern Ireland and yeah, Britain. and a very complicated process of checks uh, and refunds uh, and all kinds of things needs to be put in place. And the businesses in Northern Ireland are starting to scream and say, look, we don't know how this is going to work. You need to tell us how this is going to work. What checks are we going to face on goods coming in from the, from Britain? What checks are going to take place or what bureaucracy is going to place, take place on goods going the other way? Boris Johnson is and, and his ministers are kind of jumping one way and the other as they did during the talks uh, and saying that there won't be any checks or there won't be need, need for any great checks at all. So we really need an Irish government in place, I think, to to, to make sure that that bit of the deal is, is delivered in, in so far as possible. And Ireland, it has been agreed that Ireland will have a role in the committee that's going to that's gonna bottom that all out. And if Sinn Féin is in the next government, in the new yeah. government down south, um, is there a shift in emphasis? Yeah, it's an interesting question, you know, as, as is made clear during the election. And since, uh, you know, Irish unity is a key issue for, for, for Sinn Féin. And one of, the, one of the ways that, I guess, the Brexit deal has worked out is that there are going to be trade barriers between Northern Ireland and Britain and there will be free trade between the North and the Republic. So to some extent that does play into the, uh, you know, the Sinn Féin agenda because it, you know, it moves Ireland towards a... Uh, it, it moves the, the economy of Ireland, I, I guess, uh, more towards one entity. And a lot of rules in the north will be will be the same as they are in the Republic and different from what they are in the UK under this kind of weird arrangement that's been, uh, that's been sorted out. And of course, beyond that, Sinn Féin has also in its manifesto, and it's the first chapter in its manifesto, perhaps not surprisingly, is the steps that they will look to take to try and you know, push the unity agenda, if you like. Uh, they're looking for uh, some kind of consultative forum uh, like the Citizens' Assembly, and uh, they're looking for a white paper, a government white paper on the issue, and they're looking for a real step up in, you know, preparations, if you like, for Irish unity. Obviously, the, the calling of a border poll is a matter for the good, you know, there, there are ways that it happens under the Good Friday Agreement, it has to be called by the UK Secretary of State, uh, but it's clear that that is going to be part of the agenda, and there's a big economic, big economic issues under the bonnet there as well. Yeah. Brian, do you worry about Sinn Féin and government? Well, my my view of, um, and I say this, you know, not not as the uh, the CEO of the Irish Banking and Payment Federation. I actually think Sinn Féin is a party of government. I think they want to be in government. Um, I think they want to be in government in both parts of the island at the same time uh, to explain that to their base that they've done what they can in terms of the current constitutional setup to achieve that. 
Um, and I think... But do you see them as a danger to the economy? Well, I think some of the policies are dangerous to the economy, which will, will lead to unemployment and to a lack of investment. Um, and But I think there's, there's enough serious... I mean, there are very serious people in Sinn Féin, uh, some very serious spokespeople who uh, are very capable people. Of that, there is no doubt. Uh, the question is whether or not they have this agenda, uh, which is kind of uh, Marxist, socialist, um, I would question that, I have to say. I, I think, quite frankly, they want to be in government. And, of course, if they are going to be in government, they will be in government with either of the two other parties because I don't see, looking at it as a independent observer right now, how you can form a government unless two of the three big entities come together. Um, so how do you see that playing out? Because, I mean, you know, you're not that long gone I think from, from it's going to take a long time to decide what really Fine Gael and Fianna Hall want to do. Uh, they're clearly in shock since the election. Um, I think, obviously, Mary Lou is going to go around and see can she muster a, 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 a sizable number of deputies to support her nomination as Taoiseach that in the 20th. It's hardly It's hard to see it on the basis of the current numbers. Um, and I think we go through that process and then there will be more extensive talks. Um, I think it's important from a business perspective that we have a government. Um, the confidence and supply arrangement in the last number of years, um, while it worked you know, in pretty uh, benign and good times for the economy. I'm not so certain the kind of changes that you need to do, you do require a majority in Dáil It seems to me, from my time there, that having a majority, a government needs to know what it can do. And the confidence and supply arrangement, I think, from both Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil's perspective, is suboptimal when it comes to, to running a country. So, I mean, we'll wait and see what happens. But they are a serious political party, I, I don't buy this notion that they want to go into perpetual opposition. I think they want to be in government. I think some of their policies need to be rethought out, and I suspect uh, over a period of time and reflection they'll, they'll come to that realisation. I hope they're not going to be in a position where they want to do th- something that makes people poorer because uh, you know a lot of jobs are in this economy on foreign direct investment. A lot of jobs come to this country because we are open as a country for investment. And we all need to be mindful of that. I mean, some years ago, Sinn Féin were in favour of changing corporation profit tax away from the 12.5%. They ditched that policy because they realised the importance of corporation tax to this economy. If you take OECD countries, about 8% of the total tax take is on the corporate side. In Ireland, it's 15%. Now, how long that will last is a big question. I accept that. So we get a very... The debate sometimes in politics doesn't reflect the amount of money we take from the corporate sector, which is a good thing for Ireland. And I think it's something that they they understand as well. Um, So which of the policies really scares you? Well, I I think uh, spending 22 billion when the maximum space is about 11 billion and half that's already committed would be a breach of EU rules, would lead to fines and would have something that the EU Commission uh, would say something about very, very quickly would also spook the market in terms of the potential, even though Cliff is right in saying that the, the sovereign bond market hasn't moved this, actually it's moved slightly favourably this week. Um, I, think, I think the sovereign bond market would move against us if we're committing to that kind of expenditure we shouldn't forget that we have a pile of debt that has to be paid off over the next number of years and the terms upon which the NTMA do sterling work for this country in in uh, channeling debt and selling debt and buying debt is important in terms of the total tax take and expenditure. So um, that, I suppose, would be the biggest issue, uh, the idea of spending £22 billion. But I 
don't think they believe that's serious. Hmm, interesting. And just in terms of um, uh, coalition talks, what, what about the possibility of a grand coalition between Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael? Because that would take the whole issue of Sinn Féin being in government away. Well, they don't have a majority of seats. No, they don't. But neither does Sinn Féin and Fianna Fáil or Sinn Féin and Fianna Gael, for example. They will no. need somebody else on board with them. So, Well, all we're, all we're hearing this week is, is the two uh, former biggest parties um, uh, standing back and allowing yeah. the leader of Sinn Féin to see what she can produce right now. Uh, at some point after the 20th of February, I would imagine they will look at the situation again. Um, I think they're conscious that the country needs a stable, strong government, a government that they can agree on. There's no point in pretending to people you can agree on things when you can't agree. And uh, I think that's something that will concentrate minds as we go into the period after the 20th of February. Okay, Cliff, uh, let's talk about that 21 billion. Where would it come from? Well, probably the easiest way to, to, to look at the Sinn Féin policies is to break it down kind of into day-to-day spending and investment spending. So on day-to-day spending, uh, where they differ from the other parties is they're looking at very hefty tax increases in a number of different areas, mainly on high earners and big businesses. And I think one of the really interesting things would be what signals uh, Sinn Féin sends out to big business now in the, in the days ahead because they were certainly a target of a lot of their rhetoric uh, during the election campaign. So you're talking big tax increases, personal tax increases on people earning over 100,000 and sp- even more so on people earning over 140,000 yeah. and very significant uh, increases in business taxes. So there's a, cha- a proposal of a change in tax on it, the way intellectual property is taxed. Uh, and, and I think possibly the most significant one and one which hasn't got a lot of attention is the proposal for a very significant increase in employers, PRSI, on incomes over 100,000, which uh, Brian's members, I suspect, wouldn't be very pleased about, uh, nor would a lot of the multinationals who come here. So, Now, mind you, where would the public sector? There's a lot of people earning over 100k in the public sector, state agencies, sure, yeah, yeah, commercial, but, uh, state companies, and yeah, so I on. Guess, I guess it's a bit of a roundabout there. You know, you're you're taking it out of one pocket and putting and it into the other pocket. Another. And there's also a one percent wealth tax being proposed. There as well. is, yeah, but small amount, small amounts of money raised there, and I'd, I'd be surprised if that went anywhere very quickly, to be honest with you. So, so, so that's how they're going to fund their increase in day-to-day spending, and then. They're looking for a big increase in, in investment spending as well, obviously particularly directed at, 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 at housing. And one of the things that they propose there is there's money due back from NAMA. So four billion. Four billion, a surplus. I don't know if, if, if you could correctly call it a surplus, but money anyway that we hadn't expected to get back a few years ago, we're going to get back. The no, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael were, were, were saying, look, that money needs to go into paying off, yeah. paying out the national and debt. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was uh, one That's of the, the terms of the bailout. The yes, it was. Yeah, the yeah it was, yeah. But I suppose, look, we've paid that off at this stage. But anyway, uh, and there may be issues there about EU rules in terms of once-off revenues. But it it, it, it is proposed by by Sinn Féin that that goes to once-off spending in, in, in its housing programme. And that's one of the ways that it's using to boost uh, capital investment spending over the next few years. I, the, the broadening of the tax base was something, when when I was in government, I, I know when the IMF were there, their, their big focus um, at kind of macro policy level was how do we broaden the tax base? And we've done things like the, the property tax. Um, and like the other side of it is this on wealth taxes. I remember in Michael Noonan's time, all of the capital taxes were increased. Capital gains tax, capital acquisitions tax. Um, we, we introduced, obviously, a bank levy at the time. All of those are a form of, of, of wealth tax. Um, it's interesting, Fianna Fáil had in their ma- manifesto 
a proposal to reduce from 33 to 25% uh, capital gains tax as a and means to, of trying to... Yeah, also to increase the entrepreneurially quite yes, substantially from yeah. a million to 15 million. And I, 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 frankly, there are, there, you know, the measures that were introduced at the time in terms of increasing all of the taxes were all around broadening the tax base. The problem for the country, I mean, in good times, you can do things on tax. In, in bad times, you need to have some resilience built into the tax base. And it seems to me at a, at a purely policy level, to start, uh, you know, narrowing out the tax base at a time when we need it, when we sh- we need to put money aside. I mean, I think it is a smart, sensible proposal um, that the, 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 the current minister, supported by, by Fianna Fáil at the time, of putting money aside uh, for the rainy day fund. It's the right thing to do. You do need counter-cyclical uh, funds where you go into a, a serious contraction and God help us, we don't want the contraction of whatever happened the last time, but we do need to build resilience into the finances. And I think that's also the message in fairness of the Central Bank, the the Fiscal Advisory Council, the EU. We need to learn from the mistakes we've made in the past. And I think, you know, the the actual space is not as broad as people might think. Um, I think the bigger issue is how we get efficiencies into spending and make sure that we really get value for the, the tax spending that we're doing. Should we never get it? I mean, that never happens, does it? Well, I think that's the, that's the, that's the big question. The other thing, of course, that Sinn Féin are proposing on well, all those things that Cliff mentioned, on, on pension relief as well, of course, that, you know, we do have pr- pretty good incentives for people to put money aside at the top rate of tax. If you just use the marginal rate, you, you really whack a whole group of people who are trying to save for their pension into the future, have no pension uh, about, uh, at all. And I think there are implications in that for people. But I mean, if Sinn Féin is in government, it will be in government with another party or or group of parties. And it just won't be their policy. It will be other parties' policy as well. And that's what coalition is about. It's not just about, I mean, Sinn Féin had a very successful election, a quarter of all votes, but 75% of people didn't vote Sinn Féin. And that has to be respected in any new coalition government if that is going to happen. Yeah. Cliff, I wonder what the IDA makes of uh, the prospect of Sinn Féin and government because one of the things they have proposed is to get rid of this um, SARP programme which is uh, effectively a tax break for high earners who come to Ireland from abroad working with multinational companies, etc. And one of the ideas behind this is that it's, it's, it makes it attractive uh, or more attractive maybe for um, for multinational investors in this country to bring talent here. Yeah, uh, like like I think most of the state agencies, the the idea has kept its head well under the the parapet so far. Uh, interesting to, to know if they've been in touch with any of the parties behind the scenes. But yeah, the SAR program is is as you say a big tax break for for, for million for, in foregone yeah, taxes. Yeah, in two thousand seventeen. I, I personally have a bit of a problem with it. I I think uh, if you're living in the country and availing of the services here, you should pay tax. Um, I think we've held our nose a bit on this relief over many years on the basis that it. It helps us bring in, you know, thousands of new jobs. I, I just wonder, is that the case? I wonder what regimes are are actually on offer in other countries. I think in some cases, maybe part of the issue is we've gone a little too far to, um, you know, to please the multinationals and to do everything, every, you know, everything plus uh, that they've asked us to do. And, you know, we're in a position now where we have a lot of investment in the country and maybe we don't need to be so desperately out seeking future investment. I, I would think that the thing that worries the IDA much more is the proposal to increase, you know, the general level of tax on on higher earners, uh, and to increase the empl- employer's PRSI? I think they are things that will really affect the bottom line of the big companies here. Uh, will increase, will will dam- could damage the competitiveness 
of, of Ireland's offering. Uh, and I, I think they're bigger issues really than the, than the SARP, which is kind of a bit of a cream on top. We've been the benefit in recent years of actually the the, the BEPS. Uh, I think you wrote about this, Cliff. Um, I mean, people have been saying, oh, the big issue in Europe, CCCTB, where that is going is the big challenge. The big challenge into the future is as we roll out the BEPS process. This is in the, terms of corporate taxation. Yes. And actually, we've, been a bene- we've benefited from this in recent years. As money has come on shore, we've seen this very substantial increase in corporate tax from the largest corporates in Ireland. Um, there's a big question mark, as I said, over the, the future sustainability of that. But it is some um, remarkable achievement that there is no other... I'm not aware of any other OECD country which has such a remarkable tax take from large corporates and multinationals. Now, that cash cow has to be protected in terms of the money that comes into Ireland. So you're a fan of SARP? Oh, no, well, was I, that introduced in your time in the Department of Finance? Yes, it was. And I think when, it actually, I, I think I was there at the time. And the argument we made at the time was this came from the IDA as, as a means of, of incentivizing people. Um, but like anything like that, it should be reviewed. Um, I'm not wedded to, to any tax break. Uh, if, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And actually keeping things on a long-term basis is, is never a good policy. I'm not sure has this been reviewed by the IDA or have they given a paper to the Department of Finance, I presume Well, it's been have. extended out to 2022. Well, then it must have been as a consequence of the review. Uh, and I do know it came up at committee meetings of, the, of finance in the Oireachtas. It's always good to review these these things. Um, but I, I do agree. The bigger issue is around. Let's not forget what is it? The top um, the top ten percent of all in, income earners in Ireland contribute over sixty percent of the totality of tax in Ireland. Now, you know, ten percent are contributing sixty percent of the totality. Um, we we do need to focus on that because uh, we do have very high marginal rates of tax uh, at the top end. We have a very low tax rate for people earning small income, as, as is understandable as a, as a means of keeping high rates of employment in Ireland. But the, the total objective has to be keep, pe- people at work. And I don't think you'd do that if our marginal rates are so way beyond where they are in the UK right now. Uh, we have to be conscious of that. And that's the big driver, I think, for a lot of the multinationals. Can they get talent here? Can they get housing for people here? Can they get schools for their kids? These are real issues that affect decisions on investment. Yeah, well, of course, Sinn Féin might argue that they will get housing under their, under their proposals because they're, they're planning a big programme of housing. I know a lot of it's at social and affordable level. Yeah, not for 65,000 to pop, I suspect. Yeah, sure. Well, OK, I think those numbers have been, uh, have been yeah. challenged. Uh, Cliff, one of the, uh, the items in the Sinn Féin manifesto of interest is this uh, Apple um, tax uh, situation. Um, Ireland's taken an appeal along with Apple to the European Commission's uh, decision on this £13 billion. Uh, in 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 money that they should have uh, they should have paid the state or should have paid other states. Um, Sinn Féin says it would cease that appeal uh, and save a lot of money in legal fees and and so forth sure. and, and put that money to other use, better use. Yeah, I mean you would save a bit of legal fees. I mean I think the issue is that the uh, the Apple will continue to appeal the ruling anyway, and that it, depending on what way the decision goes in the European Court of that of course, first instance that that it's up in front of at the mm. moment. I think either side is almost certain to appeal subsequently to the European Court of Justice. So it'll go on for years. So this is going to go on for years. But are uh, they right that Ireland should cease the appeal? I have a mixed view on it. I mean, I, I think we should probably stick with it because uh, I think it's kind of fundamental to our reputation as a country that we do, you know, we, we, we didn't do a special deal with Apple. Uh, and I think the Commission took the case as much on kind of 
as much on political grounds as it did on economic grounds. And I'm not entirely sure that it, that, that the case is taken is on particularly firm foundations, to be honest with you. Because I think even if you make the argument that Apple should have, it's, clearly there's a moral argument here, that Apple should have paid more tax on the earnings it made outside the US market. Um, and along with most of the other big US multinationals as well. Um, the, the question is whether, so, so the moral argument you know, can, can't be argued against, I don't think. The technical question can, in other words, should they legally have paid more? And, and I'm not sure where that lies. And equally, I'm not sure that if they should have paid more, that it should have gone to the Irish Exchequer. Exactly. Because exactly. it seems to make a lot more sense to me that the money was owed it to Uncle to Sam in America. Yeah and to other countries where they sold products rather than to Ireland. So, so I think we probably are right to stick with it and to, and to see this decided and tested. It's just a pity it'll take so long. Yeah, right. Uh, listen, uh, com- commission competition cases have no beginning, middle and end. They, they remain on the books of, of, of Margarita Vestager as, as long as they want. They are somewhat political in terms of their decision to go after one country as against the next. The, the truth of the matter is that this is not our money. This money belongs elsewhere either to the States or to well, other some countries. Some of it is ours, in fairness. Some of it I, I, I think any of the value that was added in Ireland has been paid on, on tax on it. This is not our money. And th- this this pretense that in some way there is this enormous cash cow that all you have to do is hit a button and will come into Ireland will be contested by every other country in the European Union which sold Apple goods, goods over that period of time. So that's the first thing. The second thing I'd say is in terms of the double Irish, in terms of the residency rules, they've all been changed and it's it's something to the credit, I think, of the kind of post-crash government and governments and ministers of finance that they recognise that there was reputational damage to the country. I was in the European Parliament for five years. I heard it everywhere I went. The Apple ruling had huge detrimental effects in terms of Ireland's reputation. I, I recognise that. But I think the thing to do is um, you cannot rewrite history. If the, 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 the statute of the time in terms of the Finance Act allowed for this um, tax device to exist... Ipso facto, it was the law. The difficulty, I think, the European Union, they, they don't understand the arm's length principle of the way in which our tax authorities work vis-a-vis, they think it's some political device and it's not, of course. The revenue applied this in the way the revenue have always done at an arm's length principle. So I think, I don't think the, cover, the government, any government has any choice but to continue to be co-joined in the, in the legal case before the European courts uh, and we will wait and see the outcome of that. Yeah, okay. All right, finally... Um, Brian, look at this through the lens of uh, Colin Hunt as the head of AIB or Francesca McDonough as the head of uh, Bank of Ireland. What's a good outcome from all of this in terms of the negotiations to form a new government? If you're a leading banker in this country, you're running one of the big banks here, what's a good outcome from these government negotiations? I mean, whether you're Bank of Ireland, AIB, whether you're a large other corporate, it it makes no difference. What, What business wants to see is certainty. A government um, which has a majority in the Dáil, which is a clear programme that works with business for the best outcomes of the people in the country um, and, and businesses that continue to grow and flourish, that can continue to you know, attract equity. Um, in recent years, arguably, because of the low interest rate environment as a consequence of monetary policy, uh, there's been a kind of equity strike in, in not just Irish banks, but across all European banks, and that's a real challenge because the only way we're going to get to a better banking model in Europe um, is to is to get fresh equity in, is to actually get the markets to invest in the banking industry in the way they have in the United States. And what we want to see uh, is a competitive, a sustainable, a modern banking industry that serves the customers, 
that we represent and actually is well positioned for the future in terms of the kind of, of, of sustainability uh, that's crucial for the Irish economy. So that's, what, that's the out- outcome they want to see. It's no different to the outcome that Irish business more generally wants to see. Can that be achieved to Sinn Féin and government? Well, well, let's let's wait and see. I mean, I'm not going to say anything to make the life of Sinn Féin or any other party more difficult. We wait and see, but uh, we hope that um, a government can be formed. And, and you know, um, we're, we're stakeholders in that. Uh, this idea that there are goodies and baddies, you know, the, the baddies are all the banks and the insurers and the corporates and the top 1%. That gets you so far in politics. But it doesn't actually, uh, it doesn't actually uh, butter your parsnips at the end of the day because what, what's crucial for Ireland is our financial stability, high rates of employment, a growth model uh, that continues to deliver for people and to ensure the government has the funds to do the crucial things it needs to do in housing and, and in health and anything we can do in that regard, we will do. Cliff, how do you see these negotiations playing out? Who's going to be in government? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, Fianna Fáil still seems to be torn amongst itself on whether it's going to go in with Sinn Féin or not. I, I don't even think they know, I don't even think Mio Martin knows the answer to that himself. I, I think there, mu- there must be a chance of Fianna Fáil and Sinn Féin uh, at least sitting down to talk. I, I think it's it's difficult for Mio Martin not to or whoever is Fianna Fáil leader not to, not to do that, uh, given the mandate that Sinn Féin have got. Whether they can reach a deal or not is another question. I think there is a gap between them. In terms of the public finances, probably not unbridgeable, but there's a gap there. They could probably agree on a housing programme, but there's real issues, I think, in terms of Sinn Féin's tax policy, its policy on business and higher earners that Fianna Fáil are going to find it hard to swallow and Sinn Féin are going to find it hard to give up. So it's a tricky one. Um, and, and, and as Brian said, the problem with Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, is that it's perhaps not been seen to deliver the kind of change that voters want. Uh, so we're in a bit of a conundrum. Yeah. By the way, Brian, we've had talk about rotating Taoiseach before. I mean, given that the numbers are so tight, 35 for uh, Fianna Gael, 37 for Fianna Fáil, 38 for Sinn Féin. Is that a very live possibility well, now I, in the I next think, government? I mean, frankly, it will be on the table for any of the three parties, I would imagine. Um, but I, I think before you even got to the point of a rotating Taoiseach position, cabinet ministers, who's minister for finance or whatever, um, the bigger issue is around policy, what kind of, to Cliff's point, what are the gaps? And there are pretty yawning gaps right now. And could you bridge those gaps between all of the parties? Uh, and then I think the, the issue of, is of, of political reality kicks in, who's going to take what position. I should say, can I say at the moment, I, am, I, heard, I was at the, the financial forum this morning, um, Michael Darcy gave uh, probably one of his last speeches, I'd imagine, as minister. He lost his seat the other day. He did a really good job as, as a financial services minister. I'm not just saying that as a former colleague of his, but um, I think across the industry, as a management insurance, he put the insurers under a lot of pressure, the banks elsewhere, he did a really good job. And it's an example of, of Irish politics, how someone who's really into the, the weeds of the detail, who promotes the country, who works 24-7 on behalf of the country in, in, in selling our, 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 our reputation abroad and selling the industry and the things, the specialisation we have here, can lose their seat. And uh, I just want to recognise his contribution over the last two and a half years as a really excellent Minister of State who, who did a lot in that area. He was recognised. You couldn't say that about every Minister of State over the years, but he certainly was, and I think we should recognise that today. Yeah, sure. I did an interview with him recently and he, he um, noted how he was very close to getting a, 
an arrangement whereby they would get an insurer or somebody into the market who would insure bouncy castles yeah. um, for public liability purposes because they'd all walked away because, mm. you know, the awards and mm. so on. Mm. It had just become um, ridiculous and he said he didn't want to be the minister who put bouncy castles out of business. Um, so hopefully <laughs> uh, that'll be high on the agenda of the next government. Uh, my thanks to, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Brian Hayes and Cliff Taylor. Declan Conlon produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Remember, you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter, LinkedIn and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.